0: This is an ABC podcast. Bang. 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 Bang.
1: Bang. Bang.
0: Bang. Bang on. Hello, there Hello, my fun way. We're in the proper studio today. The big kids' studio. The big
1: kids' studio.
0: And whenever, because we're so used to it now recording from home, whenever I get to th- hear that theme in my headphones. Sounds it's good. It's a real full stop, isn't it? Dun, dun. hot takes, bang on.
1: Do we know who's saying bang on?
0: Yes, I can tell you it is. It's the wonderful Ange McCormack who is Triple J Hack reporter, current Triple J Hack host, bang fam, absolute legend. So if you've ever thought... Yeah, who does that voice? It's Ange. You That's can me, hear it. That's me. That thinking that. That's gorgeous. Five thirty weekdays on Triple J. Great.
1: Friend of the show. Yeah. Um. And what a show we have this week. Oh, we've got a lot on. Um. Sending our love to Sydney again, as well in New South Wales. Uh, I feel like I feel like the country is kind of on a precipice at the moment. There's
0: an edginess, isn't there? There's a lot of anxiety. My jaw has been very, very tense this week. Oh,
1: so is mine. And guess what? A bit of my root canal work that I got a couple of weeks ago done before I could get it finished came out and my root canal got infected again. So so that's what happens when you clench your jaw too much. So I had to get that done again. That was fun. Something for me to look
0: forward to. I saw you on the weekend and you were in increasingly agonising pain. Did you get it sorted?
1: sorted. Okay, good. Sorted. He put the pipe cleaners back into the nerve. Endings oh, and, God, no! and filled it again. Oh, I don't gross. want to ever hear that sentence again. I know it's gross.
0: Sorry, sorry, um, sorry to anyone who's anyone's has got any fears of the dentist. Of
1: dentists.
0: <laughs> this is not a dentist podcast, it is your place for music, art, life, and stuff. And a big week. For nominations, the Emmys have been announced. Nominees for the last year of outstanding television, mm. The Crown and The Mandalorian have led the nominations, but it was interesting to see a surprise Emmy nomination oh. for outstanding comedy,
1: <laughs> Emily in Paris. It's still a thing. Yeah, uh, I think everybody thought that Emily in Paris was well not quite up to standard. Anyone I've spoken to, and he's not outstanding. Are. Not outstanding, not that funny, lovely show, watched it in lockdown, watched the whole thing. It's, you know. You love a hate watch. It's a feast for the eyes. (laughs) I do. do. Oh, and I finished Sex Life too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Ten hours of your life, you're never going to get back, isn't it? Never getting it back. (laughs) Nothing, nothing happened. She could have done what she did at the end, right at the start. (laughs) No show sucked in. I know, I totally sucked in. But yeah, Emily in Paris for a comedy. It was look, it was a lovely visit to Paris for my eyes, but the show's not. There's nothing going on there.
0: People must have loved it though, because season two is in the works. I and know. among the revelations of what we have in store, she's gonna learn French in season two. I'm surprised that she didn't give it a bash in season one, given that Emily is in Paris. But she's
1: an American and she's Oh, gone she doesn't in. need to. She doesn't need to. Everyone <laughs> speaks English when you're an American. because um, you just power <laughs> on through. Yeah. No no disrespect to any Americans listening right now. Um but yeah, I got that vibe. <laughs> she, she wasn't particularly concerned. About not knowing any any French, but um,
0: she's there now. It was good to see that HBO overall got the most. They've had an amazing year. I talked about Hacks a little Ooh. while ago. Obviously, we spoke extensively about Mayor of Easttown. Yep, Kate Winslet has got a win. Oh, she's outstanding. Up to, I didn't see that in a limited series. Mm. It's under that category, and it's awesome to see that. Michaela Cole is finally finally nominated for I May Destroy You, another great show that we've banged on about, which feels like it came out so long ago, but it was last year Mm. and it was kind of overlooked in the last year of awards and finally it's
1: getting its dues at the upcoming Emmys. Something like nine nominations. Yeah. Which is amazing because it is an extraordinary show. Yeah. Um, I don't think you'll see anything quite like it again and we certainly haven't seen anything quite like it previously. So, yeah, amazing. As always, Emmy
0: nominations, any kind of award nominations are a nice little reminder of stuff you might have missed too Mm -hmm. and I feel like as, you know, large portions of the Australian population are in a bit of lockdown or just if you're in a bit of the winter doldrums and you're just staying indoors a little bit more, um, there's some great little reminders like Ted Lasso that was Mm -hmm. nominated, which is on Apple TV. Everybody talks about this as the feel good lockdown television, short episodes,
1: really just good vibes, very wholesome TV show. I started watching it the other week and I know that everyone rates it, but it was so nice. I felt like I wasn't allowed you to watch it. You didn't trust it, did
0: you?
1: <laughs> I've got to get back into it because I was like... <laughs> I'm so not used to watching a television show that's just genuinely feel good, aside from the Paris Agency, which I also oh, yeah. give huge recommendations real estate reality show based in Paris, again, a holiday for the eyes. Um but yeah, Ted Lasso felt so nice. <laughs> I was like, What's wrong? <laughs> No one – I mean it, – It's your prescription. Yeah, i got to fear do it. it. I have to do it. Dive
0: in. Right. And, and the Underground Railroad as well Um, on Amazon Prime, which I've been meaning to watch. Mm. Speaking of Amazon Prime, this is a future bang. I'm just putting this in what? your
1: head, that Lux Listings show. Oh, yes. I've heard about it. I've heard it's terrible. <laughs> it's got, I just saw Sydney. that in before her. Estate Agent. Yeah, I know. It's on the list. I, I will watch that. On my Amazon Prime login from a BangFam member, thank you, still running. We have communications occasionally. Um, Through Amazon Prime? Where we have to update our <laughs> password. <laughs> oh, wow.
0: What a BangFam we
1: have. I know. I love our BangFam. Hey, you sent me a
0: great article this mm. week, which I just love. I think partially because we've sort of touched on this before on Bang On and it really resonates. It's through Vox who do yep. awesome stuff online, little videos
1: and what have you. It's called The Great American Cool. That's right. Um, it's written by Safi Halan Farah, And um, I think from what I can glean from this article is that that nothing is cool anymore because – our path to what we like has now become so individualised mm. given that the our streaming services have made our viewing habits very, very different to the next person, um, our, our lifestyles, the internet, we can be into whatever we want to be into. There's no more monoculture mm. in that we're no longer watching all the same shows at the same time. Sometimes we do. Say if people like, for example, watch the MasterChef Grand Final, that might be something that a lot of people are doing at the same time. But generally uh, people aren't necessarily subscribing to the same things that we used to Mm. given we had very few options in comparison. So I found this article really interesting and especially from the author's point of view who was talking about her experiences when she started out. Becoming a writer and working in a, a media organisation, how she felt like she had to prove a lot of her taste and the things that she liked because she was working with a lot of people who already had very established taste because of privilege, white privilege. Yeah, she said that especially. you know was going
0: through the lens of what they thought was cool. Yeah. And she had to assimilate to that. Yeah, and
1: and I kind of remember when I moved from and, and I'm not saying my experience was at all the same, but I remember being surrounded when I moved from a country town with we hadn't, you know, Smash It's Mag and television and that was it. Yeah. So I had to kind of take in so much already to these people who seemed to have already established who they are and what they liked and i didn't have any fucking idea <laughs> i was an idiot and i like i just i felt i felt i remember that feeling of just going i don't really know what my tastes are yet but because they're not like yours or i haven't worked in this world before yeah and it's um and i th- i found her perspective pretty amazing really and i i liked the fact that that she she really called it that a lot of what we've been told in the past that is our taste, that is considered good taste or bad taste, has been determined through a very, very white and I would suggest possibly very, very male lens. Um, Think about the types of music that was popular in the 90s and the music criticism around it, you know. Mm. uh, Female tastes were derided a lot of the time and female music and so yeah, it's. I really loved this article. I thought it was a great read. What did you take from it?
0: Well, I liked where she. I mean, talks about Gen X and millennials. So mm. we're
1: we're Gen X. I yep. um, just just missed out on being a millennial,
0: but you know they are kind of rolled into one category. And she, you know, notes the NPR tote bag. It's an American writer. Yeah. Um, and all the band T-shirt wearing hipster kind of vibe. That's the sort of look. But Gen Z or Gen Z has identified infinite, disparate and chaotic combinations of Mm. tastes and consumer choices – mining from a limitless array of niche subcultures and milieus. So just like you say, you can have everything and you lob in for everything. So the eclecticism of Gen Z is far more far reaching and complicated than in the nineties when we were coming of age mm. and in the two thousands. And I found that hard enough in the nineties. I
1: was like I said, I was
0: just shuffling around going, woo But there was some there was some tent poles, you know, you sort of gravitated mm. towards you were this person or you were this person. It was kind of like five different types. It was quite mm. Yeah, you could you could stereotype quite easily and yeah. these days less and less so. And she kind of makes the point that it's really hard for corporate executives to market now to well, the that's right. youth culture. Um, this is the point that stuck with me. Consumer identity is old news when everything is cheap and available and everyone is buying. Throw it all into the mix and see what comes out. Oh, it's gosh. an amazing shift, isn't it, in a relatively short amount of time. Well, it, when you're talking about trends yeah. and the dissolution of trends and how we've been able to... Yeah, craft
1: our own identity and there's space for everybody, every little niche. It's quite remarkable. It really is. But it also, um, I, I lo- what stuck out for me was the whole ironic memes that are going around and they're so difficult to decipher. Sometimes. Like sometimes there's stuff going. I used to be pretty switched on and clued in, but sometimes there's stuff going on. Deep you need you need someone to explain memes to you, don't you? And I have to look saying? things up like an old lady, what does this mean? And like
0: Urbandictionary.com. MemeExplainer.com.
1: I know, but like the ones that like sometimes they're so like first cousin twice removed, I don't even know how they got there anymore. And and that's very regional of you just there. Yeah. Going back to that. Um so this is – she She writes TikToks, things like that, memes are made in a more ironic and a meta way which makes it even funnier because instead of trying to paint a picture using a bunch of barely comprehensible references, they turn it around and make fun of the trend itself. So therefore you've got already got these layers and what people are identifying with is not necessarily the TikTok or the meme but what they're identifying with is the fact that they understand it. Like what – so what is cool? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Ah! I just saw your little brain explode. I know. It's a bit of steam rising off
0: your head. I know. It's so a great read. We'll put it in the show notes. I feel notes. left
1: behind. Lucky I'm moving to the country <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just giving up. I'm giving up.
0: You can't be across it all. You are across it all before. Like there's, a, you've got to let other people be across it all. Yeah. There's room for
1: everyone. Let them have it. Let them have it. That's right. <laughs> Miff, have you seen the new Annabelle Crab series? Misrepresented? Sure, have I watched the first episode. I cannot wait to watch the rest of it. Loved it. It it was perfect in terms of the moment that we find ourselves in here in Australia. What's been going on in Parliament House in terms of uh, behaviours, uh, gender, mm. all of that. It, it encapsulates everything, yeah. and I think it was shown in the ratings. It did really well as well. So people are really interested in a lot of what's explored in this new documentary. What a, it.
0: Yeah, what a time to put it out too. I mean it's kind of marking the 100-year anniversary of the first – female parliamentarian Mm. to be elected, Edith
1: Cowan, 1921. In the West Australian Parliament, um, but the South Australian Parliament did the big change, didn't it?
0: Making it able for women to vote and also for women to run for office. Took them a few decades to actually be able to get a spot, be pre-selected. Yes, A few blokes not that
1: keen. (laughs) No. Well, this was a mistake, we find out through the documentary, that the South Australian laws that were passed were put there as a kind of joke, thinking that it would never happen, that women would get the right to vote and suck it, I say. Suck it. <laughs> well, it is. But we a, don't know this stuff. Yeah,
0: and it's a great history lesson as well. I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't know, but the way that it's told as well through all the different um, female parliamentarians of the day and people who have been and have left since from all walks of life, from all political persuasions, and they tell the story in this first episode. And then in the following episodes you've got, you know, what it means to be a female poly, you know, the the perceptions, the expectations, how it's obviously very different for women and they have to put up with a lot more and things that men just don't. And... Things like, you know, being told don't be ambitious, Ooh. which is a bizarre thing to say in politics. Don't be ambitious. Like, no. you know, isn't that literally the point? If you <laughs> hope for something bigger and try really hard, yeah. don't be shrill. But you're a Wear woman, this. don't,
1: yeah, you're not allowed. Pipe down. It's, mm. you know,
0: don't be too loud. And then also it explores the the legislation that women push through, including the, the abortion drug RU486, which I hadn't thought about Brian Harradine in so many years. Oh. He was the senator who managed to do a deal You'll see this in the third episode, I believe, and he basically moved the control of it from the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA, over to the health minister, who was Tony Abbott at the time. Not really a big fan of um, a (laughs) pro-choice minister, let's just say. Um, And how, you know, again, women of all backgrounds cross the party lines to do it. I watched all four episodes last night. I just loved it. It's so excellently produced. and. You know, we know that the culture in Canberra is toxic. It's been toxic for a long time. Mm. This is not just breaking news. I think we're just hearing about the extent of it um, in the mainstream media now. But even as it traces the history of women um, in, in Canberra and across Australia over the back, like the last past century, it's just incredible to see that story. And it's at times inspiring and infuriating at the, at the same moment, you know. It's A bit like 2020
1: and 2021. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just like, you know. The, angry. <laughs> the, but the, I guess the inspiring part of it is it's just like, oh, my God, you had to do all of this and the sheer determination in which you just kept on going at it despite so many obstacles, despite so many idiots who just breeze through without, you know, it makes the point of John Howard who basically got pre-selected for his seat in Benelong over a woman who'd tried multiple times and Mm. he'd never had any political experience. He'd been the head of the Young Liberals but he'd never actually held a seat or anything. Mm. Um, She's meanwhile told to get more experience and she's been doing that for the last 12 years. Oh,
1: and also the, the women that were told they had to be married, they had to get married in order to be able to run for a seat because you couldn't possibly got to be not have a family. And, of course, they go into the fruit bowl, the Julia Gillard fruit bowl moment whereby she was photographed in her kitchen which looked like it hadn't been cooked in and the fruit bowl was empty. Baron, Which somehow, yeah, ex- expressed that this woman was not a nurturing and caring woman. She had no children, God forbid. When it's all
0: captured in that, in that kind of volume, when you see mm. it all crunched down to four half-hour episodes, mm. you're just like, Really? But it's it happens, it's true. It happens today. And that's the thing that's the real kicker, I think, that because in this last twenty-four hours, while I've watched these four episodes yep. of Misrepresented, it's all on iView now. You can watch it every Tuesday night over the next few weeks or just binge it like I did. But also overnight, there was news of a tender to introduce sexual harassment training to Parliament House, mm. and the detail of that has been revealed
1: overnight. <laughs> the training—I'm laughing because it's just—I um, mean, it's you have to laugh. It's yeah,
0: and I, there's been a lot of people responding to this today. Basically, the training is going to go for about an hour. It's going to use practical examples about how to prevent sexual one hour? assault.
1: Just one hour.
0: Sexual harassment—that's all it takes—and serious and systemic bullying as well as to support impacted people. Now, this hour-long session will not be mandatory for MPs. It will be mandatory for junior staff. I would argue that MPs need to brush up on this information. Absolutely. If they are going to lead lead
1: their staff in an appropriate fashion, surely they should also be included in this. It's
0: just nuts. So maybe the feedback will feed back and change those, but um, today being met with very rightful criticism and cynicism, mm. Laura Tingle, one of many people who just tweeted, yeah, that'll fix it. Yeah. Yeah, that'll fix it. I love Laura Tingle. I will say this, though. One of the things that I took away from watching Misrepresented is that as much as it's hard and you have people blocking you every step of the way in some cases, in many cases... Power in numbers does make a difference and you see that play out over these four episodes. So you have to turn up and there is a call Ooh. at the end of the series of people like Sarah Hansen-Young and others who have faced um, a lot of opposition and a lot of really bad behaviour and she's still like, yeah, turn up because it is better than it was and it'll keep going, keep on getting better Ooh. the more representation we have. And I will finish on this. The theme music for this is very similar to Succession. It's Succession. Can we just hear a little bit of it now? Yeah. Getting there is one thing. Making yourself heard is another matter entirely. Of course it's happened to me. It's probably happened to you. The stories women don't tell. This is
1: perfectly normal. This is going to be controversial, isn't it? I mean, that's got to be a little Literally. nod, doesn't it? Absolutely. Succession? I love, I love that whoever <laughs> composed the music got that brief. It's got to sound like Succession because I got excited when I heard the music. I was like, oh, here, it's here already. Women are going to take over. Love it. Something that Ms represented, illustrated very, very clearly is one of the things that held women back in Parliament. Not just the fact that they were completely outnumbered and found it very difficult to get there. No Dunnies. Yeah, no female no, toilets. No female toilets. And this is this was a problem in Australian society too. We didn't have public toilets until the turn of the, the century. Women simply weren't allowed to come into the city. Men would be whittling in laneways as they can, <laughs> but there was nowhere for women to go to the toilet so they couldn't come to the city. This is in Melbourne where I live, and I'm sure it's replicated all across the world. And our parliamentary houses mirrored this. No toilets at all for women. It's a run home to go to the toot. I know. And I wonder, um, and I also think what a luxury it is today to be able to have a conversation about how the toilet roll should be (laughs) hung because we had a situation where women weren't even allowed to go to the toilet in some public buildings.
0: Fantastic editorial that you've sent with me. This is the content I like to Mm. read uh, in The Guardian. Toilet roll holders, yeah. over or under. I mean, it's the potato cake, potato scallop debacle all over again, this isn't it? it has been it? going on
1: for years. Like <laughs> I think and if anyone's doing any kind of commercial radio, it's always a question <laughs> at some point in your commercial radio career. It's um, a hot topic. It's a hot topic. And it's actually in households it can be the breaker of a relationship. I've got to say that was one of the reasons why, you know, one of my relationships failed. <laughs> Just failed. Over or under, really? He was. He was an under.
0: No, nah, okay, I'm glad to hear that you're an over yeah. then and that says a lot about you. He's an
1: under and I used to grind my gears. My partner's an under too and ah, I don't get it. Divorce him.
0: I don't get it. This is a fraught Sorry, issue. Sorry, I love you, Jeffy. As it says, <laughs> divorce him. As it says, there is a dedicated Wikipedia entry on toilet paper orientation mm. that is more than 2,000 words long and contains 66 footnotes.
1: Oh, the S. yes. When
0: a writer of a popular advice column was asked her opinion on the subject in 1986, she replied under an assertion so controversial that it generated a record-breaking 15,000 letters in response. Oh my God. And I understand that reaction because mm. most people do go over and not under. Apparently, if you do it, there is a toilet paper personality test. Oh, really? People who roll over are more dominant than those who roll under. Does that mean that if you roll over, you're a top? And if you roll (laughs) under, you're a bottom? Like what does our toilet paper placement say about us as
1: humans? It really does. It says a lot. Although perhaps because we are rolloverers, we have been sucked in to the greatest con of all time because it mentions here in this article too that toilet paper manufacturers have tricked the masses into favouring the over-orientation because it results in 30% more toilet paper being used. I don't believe that. So maybe we're dominant, but we're just this, we're, <laughs> we're sucked into a con,
0: like the idiots that we are. Like the toilet paper is sucked into our hands in a thirty percent more way. Mm. I don't believe that. Don't you?
1: I don't know. There's no. There's no. Fifteen footnotes to actually agree with that. It when, wasn't that found on TikTok. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah true. <laughs> true. Um. My dog eats toilet paper, so whether or not I'm saving 30% or not by going under <laughs> makes no difference. Viv is definitely a dominant. Yes. She's definitely a top.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, farewell that topic down there, swelling around. <laughs> Flush it away. Hey, before we get into our bang-ons this week, a heads up. Next week we're going to have a bumper bang-back episode. Always very fun hearing from you, our bang-fam, about what you're vibing on, and you have come to the party. We've been getting so many amazing yeah. emails, DMs. We're going to explore it next week, particularly if you're needing some fun stuff to watch, listen to, read, whatever. If you're in lockdown in particular, this is going to be a big episode, so um, join us next week for a big bang back. Cannot wait.
1: What are you banging on about this week? I read an article this week that really spoke to me and it's by Eva Wiseman, whose stuff I, I've always read in The Guardian. She's she's fabulous. Um, the headline, Jobs, Marriages, Cities, We Are Quitting Them in Droves. And when I was reading this, I went, oh, yeah, that might, yeah, no, that's right. And I myself am moving to the country. Yeah. Sort of. Out of burbs. I'm going out into the bush. I'm going to be surrounded by trees. City fringe. City fringe. That's what I've decided. And, and this article is saying pretty much... Uh, thoughts that I've had myself. COVID, as as privileged as it was, it was an opportunity for a lot of us to reassess. For many, it was too difficult and too financially traumatic to be able to do that. But I was very lucky in that I had a bit of time to assess what was important mm. in my life, probably for the first time in my entire working career. And I reassessed what was important in terms of rela- my, you know relationships, friendships, the way I want to live my life all of those things and that was something i'll look back on this time as as very special mm. because i haven't been afforded that opportunity as 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 difficult and as tragic as as covid has been i just i think a lot of us were we were forced to think about our lives and how we want to live them yeah. whether that's a good thing or not for me it worked out to be a good thing and i've made a decision that i want to be in nature a little bit more for now and um I want, I want to have a new life challenge, because, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm just going to throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. And it's I love terrifying. It, I You're so brave though. It's it's so good. You know, it's really terrifying. But Eva's written about this. Um, she, she just said. Some are quitting the cities because they no longer need to live a bus ride away from the closed down office. Um, some, because like me, craved nature um, during their enforced lockdowns. Um, some people wanted to be closer to their families. And I think the the big takeaway from this article is she talks about us reassessing what success looks like. Mm. And I certainly have. Um it could also be that I'm heading towards middle age. I could be having my midlife crisis. But also what success looks like, what comfort is for, which and which compromises are necessary in order to live a good life. And yeah. a good life doesn't for some mean anymore that they want to be a part of the rat race.
0: But when the context of everything changes, when the ability to do certain things or those markers of success, like you say, mm. shift, and you are kept away from people that you love, um, and from things that you love, your your world changes. And I think that's happened for a lot of people figuring out what matters mm. and when all the noise is gone and you're not kind of... Rushing busy. around being
1: busy with everything you have to do. Just
0: chasing your tail, mm. yeah. You get to step back. Um, and it has been so tough for so many people. Absolutely. It's not like COVID has been a gift, but I like that you're you've found that it's given you a new perspective and you are diving into that. It gave me the kick with your kick eyes up the eyes I needed to, it's amazing. To, to
1: actually work out what I wanted from this life that I'm living. You got the lemonade out of the lemons right there. Oh, you know, it still sucks, but <laughs> but yeah it's it's yeah, I'm terrified. But yeah. And I'm excited this for this article's you. great. If you need that little kick up the bum, give it a read. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes as um, well. What are you banging on about? I'm banging on about a book, and it's a really
0: interesting book called The Final Revival of Opal and Nev. It's written by an American writer called Dawny Walton. It's her first book, and it's strange because it is a fictional story about this legendary punk duo, but it's written as an oral history, like a real book. It's written as like a factual music Biography, but almost like an oral history with footnotes and asides and different voices. And I've never read anything like it. And if, as I'm saying this, I'm sure there's a few Bang fans saying, oh, that sounds like Daisy Jones and the Six, mm. which was an incredibly successful book from a few years ago by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I've not read that, but she did something very similar to what Donny Walton's doing. Initially, it was really hard to get into it because I'm reading about these fake characters, but then there's references to other, you know, Bob Dylan and Mick mm. Jagger and it's that kind of era, that sort of 1970s era. Um, but they're completely made up. So I don't have a reference point in my head. I don't know what they sound like, what they look like. Right. it's It's sort of like this half hyper reality world. And it did I did feel like I was being kicked out of the narrative a bit, but Then the the narrative and the way that she does it, and particularly the way she captures music and music industry so well, like she's written for music magazines before. She knows the industry. Like there's so many moments where I'm like, oh, "Oh, yeah, I've been (laughs) in that room before. Yeah, and it's just so, so good, and that just sweeps you up. So it's a really impressive debut novel. It's really interesting too because Opal is a black, bald bold woman who is one of the original Afro Punks, and Nev is this British kind of foppish guitar player who whose, you know, world is elevated by the existence of Opal, who basically gets the wrong end of the stick. Same old story. Mm. But those those hidden histories of women in music, of women of colour in music in particular, are so rarely told. And it's interesting that you get that rock and roll folklore. And it's fictional. It's, you know, they have happened. I, Tina, another great biography. Yeah. Um, the stories of Betty Davis, countless others, but. They just aren't told as much and it's interesting that dorney is telling it in a fictional way mm. and she can, because it's a made-up story, lean on things that we're talking about like Black Lives Matter, yeah. like Me Too, all of that stuff because she can create the narrative and she does it so well. So Brilliant. if you're looking for a good read, a really interesting read, and if you like Daisy Jones and the Six, maybe give um, the final revival of Opal and Nev a read. I wanted to give a quick tip of the cap too if you want something completely salacious and a little bit full on. Yes, please. I'm currently reading Rodham. Which is the best-selling book written a few years ago about what would have happened if Hillary didn't marry Bill? And there's there's so much soft pornography in this book, and oh, I've just really? been ripping through it. And the other day, I was playing a song on the radio, <laughs> and a saxophone solo came on, and
1: all I could think of was the sex scenes with no! Bill Clinton. It's just too oh, much. It's foul. It's so full on. It's so full on. Hang on. So this is the book version of sex life. <laughs>
0: I think it's better than sex life. <laughs> I hope it is. I'm only a third of the way through. Oh,
1: it's a page turner, let me just oh say that. Oh, my God.
0: Thank you to Joe Lauder, also from Hack. Saucy. So many Bang Fam uh, in the <laughs> Hack crew. What's going uh, she, on? She all, lent it to you. We're me. all
1: going into some lately <laughs> literary or um, televisual porn. It's or our something. Fifty Shades period of
0: Bang <laughs> On. Bring it on.
1: No. I can't wait to hear your bangbacks next <laughs> I'm not week. Sure about that. I hope there'll be some
0: saucy bangbacks next week after all this. Yeah. We'll see.
1: Hey, good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, yeah. See you in the country. Move into the, the country. country. Gonna
0: eat a lot of peaches. Hate, I'm allergic
1: to peaches. <laughs> That's it. <laughs>
0: Hang on. Moving to the country. Great. All done. Discover more great ABC podcasts,
1: live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.